This is In Search of Tracks podcast, and today we're here with a very special guest to continue our conversation about Killing Joke's 2003 self-titled album. Our guest today is Mr. Patrick Kindlin. Uh, he's co-host of Axe to Grind podcast and vocalist for Drug Church, Self-Defense Family, Sex with a Terrorist. Um, Pat, thanks for coming on. Is there anything I missed? No, thank you for having me. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm also in a... Uh, uh, another strange band, but I don't need all my accolades uh, uh, read aloud. I, 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 uh, I, I, I'm going to say that uh, I don't often hear uh, "Sex with a Terrorist" uh, said uh, in full. Uh, most of the time, people say "SWAT," uh, and I think now I prefer it. If I'm going to be introduced in any respect, I, I like <laughs> I like "Sex with a Terrorist." Making I mean, it, it's such a good name. How you have? Why would you not? I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, And thank you for having me on. Now, explain, explain to me what's happening here. So, you know, Bob and I, uh, every week talk through a different album and basically just, um, go super deep on it. So typically we'll do, you know, a track by track. We'll kind of talk about if there's any, you know, if we're familiar with the record or the band, you know, like what that history is. Um, or if it's something entirely new to us, you know, like kind of what our read on that band or that record was, you know, prior to actually listening to it. Um, Mm. so I think the way that this all came about is, um, you know, obviously you and Bob know each other. Um, and Bob said that you were a big fan of this band and this record in particular. Um, so we thought you'd be a good, uh, guest for the show. I, I appreciate, uh, thank you for the synopsis and I appreciate the invite. Uh, I am. So have you touched on this, this particular record yet? I guess. Is oh my yeah. Question. Yeah. We did a, we did a whole breakdown on it. Uh, went track by track, did some real intense pulling apart, but that only gives people our perspective. So we like to bring in on occasion, uh, friends and well-wishers to discuss the other angles on it, if you will. Okay. Now, so just correct me if I'm going to, uh, or stop me if I'm going to say anything that you guys have already addressed. I'm sure that you've been through the, the sort of Wikipedia, uh, level talk on this. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to say that my experience with this record is, uh, wanting to fully dismiss it. And I don't know if you guys had that same experience, but I, so Dave Grohl drums on this. Yeah, that's and, right. And I, I that makes Dave you want to shit. Yeah, <laughs> I, hate, I, I I fucking hate Dave Grohl. I can't I can't even look at his idiot smile. I hate so, Dave Grohl. So we're not inviting you on for the Probot album, is that right? <laughs> I'll pass, but I appreciate the offer. Of course. He, uh, so, and nothing personal against Dave Grohl. I'm sure that he's good to his family and loved ones. I just fucking hate his smile. I hate Foo Fighters. I hate the sort of slap happy look at me i'm just a i'm just a boob that made 20 million dollars playing rock and roll and i mentioned <laughs> rock and roll like I, I i can't look at his fucking face so anything that he's involved in i don't want to be involved in myself uh however uh when i was going through when i was getting into, into killing joke which was truth be told i mean late tw- like i was probably this was probably like 12 years ago you know, sure, yeah. so, so I'm, I'm not like uh, a killing joke old head. Like, uh, I have a business relationship with a, uh, an old British guy when I say old, I'm really 50, yeah. uh, who, who is, uh, uh, kind of so steeped in this that he, he wears leather pants and like, uh, y- you know, he, he's like a full time 
wow. industrial goth OG. Yeah, I you wish know? you saw my face. That's that's commitment to the cause. One hundred percent. He'll still wear like a ministry style uh, leather cowboy hat. You know? <laughs> so he so he is he falls a little bit more sad gothy, but he is you can't be a subculture uh, uh, British person of that era and not have some affection for Killing Joke. And uh, I'm at what I'll what I'll call our world. Uh, or, or at least what I know best, which is punk and hardcore. I'm sure that even on this record, which is, I don't know, 20 years into their career, uh, Killing Joke, you can very clearly see their influence uh, on crust music. Uh, and yes. that's an interesting thing because this is also the time that I was poking around crust music for the first time in earnest. Because crust, when I was, when I was like really engaged in new hardcore music and like, Oh, let me try these new genres, et cetera. Crust was in kind of like a, a huge boom period. Honestly, it was tragedy era. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a lot to be excited about, but as Bob will tell you, if people are excited, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bear, you know, in a, in a bull market, I'm, I'm the one pushing everybody's mood down. So, sure. <laughs> so if everybody's rushing to tragedy, uh, I'm, lo- I'm looking the other way, you know, and uh, just as a negative, contrary dick, uh, tragedy, really great band. <laughs> but but, at, but the time, at the time, when when all when all when the herd was heading that way, you were uh, perhaps presenting a more skeptical perspective. Yeah, because by nature, I'm a douche. So it, it is. It, there's this part of me that, and everybody in our in your listenership, I understand how I, it, it's not lost on me at all how this sounds. Okay, <laughs> uh, when. Uh, when everybody is into something, I have the incredibly hoity, uncalled for reaction of, I don't think you really like that. Now, it gets no douchier than that, right? But it's just, uh, this is me being honest and, and a self-appraisal and saying that that's who I am. That's where I go. I go, I don't think you really like that. So, the tragedy hysteria and to a lesser degree sort of um i guess i say this totally respectfully the post tragedy kind of pump and dump schemes of crust mm. or, or crust related so i'm thinking about something like coliseum who yep. are who are certainly a good band certainly were a good band but maybe there was a bit of Sorry, we're in a very stock stock mood here. Um, they, they they were perhaps a bit overtraded, <laughs> you know. What I mean? Like it, it uh, uh, they you know it, it was kind of a there wasn't there was a lot to run from during that period because it felt like there was a lot of hype around things that people didn't really care for. It was it it, it was what whatever. But I was exploring that type of music around the time, or that's when crust was blowing up. And I wasn't interested. Ten years later, when people are over it and crust is in the toilet, I'm much more interested. Right? Again, douchey. So I'm exploring things like uh, amoebics, but also being like pulled in this. Oh, but really, amoebics is just doing killing joke, and right, and getting uh, excited by both. You know, and. Uh, so killing joke is a fantastic band. I, I recorded 
maybe I, I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, Bob, I, I recorded with Jay Robbins. Uh, yeah, I don't know, probably five, six years ago now. Right. 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 And right. A super fan, right? You were saying he is a killing joke. Super fan, favorite band, uh, likes everything they've done, which I don't know how much you checked out the discography, but that's not easy. Um, this is a band that has, uh, it, they're a challenging band because they'll drop a turd and yeah, you're just kind of either along for the ride and know that, Hey, this band's been around for 40 years. I guess, I guess you, you brick every so often. Um, but this album that we're talking about today, yeah. uh, unless I'm mistaken, let's take a look. Okay. Yes. So 96 democracy comes out. That is without question, their worst record. It what, is, yo, so it, I did not dive that. And Pete, wh- I want to hear your take on it, but Pat, because you brought that up. Why is that their worst record? Like, how bad is bad? What are we talking? What's the sound like? Um, okay, so there is uh, Killing Joke's music ranges from, r- ranges from uh, proto-industrial uh, yes. to uh, New Romantic, right? Which is like where some of the hits uh, uh, yeah. in their c- career came from. Mm-hmm. And uh, also as is evidenced on this record, just big rock, you know? Yeah. Oh, uh, and, and, you know, of course they're called a post-punk band. That's true. Certainly. Uh, although I would always say that even in their earliest incarnation, they had more in common with industrial music than they did with the other post-punk of the era. No question. Because post-punk, like so many things, it's a term that defines uh, perhaps origin points r- more so than a sound at at initiation. But then over time, the more the sound comes to it, and by sound, even even the most post punk Killing Joke material is much leans more industrial to me. After at least after the mid eighties, there's also this this it's rhythmic in a way that post punk is also rhythmic, but this. This ramps Different it, rhythm. It, it it ramps it into a place that you could that you can understand why Amoebix was doing was was doing uh, Killing Joke instead of Gang of Four. You understand? Oh, yeah. So, yep. so uh, it just appeals to a, it plays harder and it appeals to a different harder audience. I mean, Killing Joke routinely played metal shows later in the career. Like we're talking, and it makes sense to me. Festivals. I mean, it makes sense to me because I think after a certain point, when I hear this, um you hear the roots and you hear some of these influences that go into it, but overall the sound leans more metal away from a punk world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So democracy, the reason that democracy is not good is simply that it has zero, zero hits on it. Zero tracks. (laughs) I should say there's just, this is not purely speaking garbage. There's just nothing to hold on to on an entire record. It's it's bold, <laughs> yeah. But, but there's there's nothing to hang on to. They don't even like this record. It's um, funny you say that though. I've I've a lot of super fans that I know claim that that's their favorite record. Which maybe they're just you know saying that for shock value. But who knows? Most contrary opinion. Yeah. Uh, it, it, listen, not every band knows why their material is good, but many bands can ID when their material is actual dog shit. And for the band to say. This is this was not good. Uh, so they, I mean, hold on. 
let me let me let me read something from their Wikipedia, and you tell me if this is if this seems like a, a cohesive effort. Um, so uh, Coleman had spent some time decompressing at the end of the Pandemonium tour uh, in Sedona, Arizona, where he had been inspired by a new interest in Native American culture, striking a chord with his previous involvement in uh, how do you say that uh, New Zealand uh, M- 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 Maori, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, in uh, where he had settled in 1991, which fun fact, uh, unless I'm mistaken, Jazz Coleman, I think he rewrote the fucking New Zealand national anthem. That's uh, pretty amazing. I, I think that's true. I think I heard about that somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I would have to. I would have to find it. But I. Well, he was really, yeah because he was the composer in residence. Yeah. So for it New just Zealand, sound, it just sounds like something he would do. Yeah, amazing. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, okay, so this resulted in a more optimistic New Age-tinged album lyrically and marked the beginning of a more settled period for Coleman, who had uh, now made considerable progress with his orchestral career. Or, or, orchest, orchest, orchestral. Orchestral, thank you, career. Um, so uh, the, the album sessions supposedly culminated, culminated in a full moon drumming fire ceremony on a small <laughs> island. Mm. Okay. Uh, mm. now if there's a, there's a passable documentary on Amazon right now about the band, that's totally worth watching just for how like self, I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Self-involved like magicians. They are, um, it's goofy, but they've made such great music that it's not goofy. You know, um, if this band sucked in, 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 entirely they're them being deep into sigil magic uh, (laughs) would be just a laughable thing but i would say they across jesus how many studio albums do they have probably like uh, what 10 it's gotta be 10 to 15 yeah across 10 studio albums 15 studio albums that they i mean they've got at least 50 fucking gold songs. So that, that is uh, I can't say, can't say too much against their magic, but yeah. it doesn't hit every time. So uh, this Coming album, out of this record. Yeah. Into 2003. Yeah. Right. So 96 to 2003, uh, that was, a. Uh, they had just started a period of going uh, longer stretches between albums and democracy, I think really killed some of their, uh, enthusiasm. So, uh, between democracy and killing joke, uh, the self-titled that we're talking about, there's, uh, these are career musicians that have socked away a good amount of money. And what that means is all doing different things, all finding money different ways. And what that means is that you got to really do it cause you like it at that point, you know? And, uh, this one I think is a product of really liking it. Uh, I think that this record, it's not pure hits obviously, but I think that this one demonstrates uh, a a greater, uh, greater enthusiasm than, than we had seen on the previous two records. And for perspective, the record that comes out three years after this one, uh, Hosanna's from the basement of basements of hell. uh, That record, while not nearly as good as this one also feels like dudes, in their prime. Now the tracks aren't there, but it feels like psyched up dudes. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it's also possible that they switched from LSD to methamphetamine. You know what I mean? Right, so, right, right. Can make uh, a pretty big difference on a, uh, on a, uh, disposition. We'll say. 
right. And, and you're also bringing in uh, Dave Grohl, who uh, this is a band that he always admired, and he's getting to drum with them, and he's got to be 15 years younger. Has um, to be. Has to be. So, well, you know what? Maybe he's 10. 10. Yeah, yeah. you're right. 10. So I think that he had all the maybe not stars in his eyes, but like all, all the, like, this is a fun thing. I'm already rich. This is a fun thing. And his drumming on this is fantastic. It, it It's really great. And, and I can say that as a dude that it, every time his teeth hit my eyes, I fucking vomit. But- <laughs> so, so I want to ask this to both of you guys. Um, do you think, because I, I agree, I don't think any of the three of us is going to debate his his merit as a drummer on this record for sure. Like, he brings a lot. That said, do you think having the name Dave Grohl associated it with it impacted any of the songwriting decisions? Like, yo, we have an opportunity with this dude's name attached to this project to try some things. Because, yo, I'm going to say this. I, I enjoy this record. I, I like it. There's certain elements that I'm, I'm not, I'm thrown out on, but I think those elements likely would have been there regardless of Dave Grohl's presence. There are moments production wise, et cetera, where the big songs have some real like white zombie energy almost. Oh, oh yeah. And, and I wonder, is that, is that an anomaly here? Is that anomalous? Or do you think that is like, nah, they, they, they were tuned up to do this kind of record regardless. I think that, so my understanding of their process and I, I have to be in the room, but my understanding is that they, uh, they don't just write with, uh, with program drums. They record with program drums and then have the drummer come in after that's right after. So if that's true, I think that definitely Grohl was trying to show off and he does, but I think that I, I don't think that they were necessarily aiming for like a, a Grolian <laughs> right. sound. The plateau, right. Um, um, yeah. And I think in fact, they were, they, the plan was to re- record this with three different drummers, um, which they ended up just going with Dave Grohl entirely. But, you know, uh, maybe they wanted it to be a record where the drums were showcased a little more than usual, you know? Um, but, be. but aside from that, like, I don't, yeah, I don't think that, I don't think that having Dave Grohl, you know, sign up for it really changed, changed. the way that the songs would have been structured. Yo, isn't there a lyrical reference to that in the Death and Resurrection show? Lyr- like, um, assemble the drummers. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So, so the good drums. on them. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, listen to the drums. Right. 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 Um, so uh, I wanted to ask you this, Pete, because Pat, I, and we'll loop it together. Pete, you and I were knee deep in the uh, world that was both in and just next to the big, big crust explosion of the early 2000s. Yeah. You know, uh, I think we both were at almost all those shows. <laughs> we were both at, at Tragedy at ABC. The first, Were you there? You had to have been, right? Tragedy ABC, yeah, yeah, I was there. Right, yep. so so we got to see all that. Here's the thing to me, because of our entry point through punk and hardcore into crust music, I didn't hear Killing Joke for years after this. Was that the same for you? Same for me. I heard, I mean, my entry point was the, the first record. Um, yeah, that's my, the first one I heard too. And, and yeah. to be honest, that was the only one I had heard for quite a while. 
The same. Yeah. I mean, a good friend of mine turned me on to it when I was living in San Francisco, which is like, you know, five years after that tragedy show you're talking about. So right. yeah, heard that really didn't do a deep dive until years and years later. Um, but yeah. No. So, so to me, cause I, I totally agree. And, and one of the reasons I wanted Pat on for, for today was after going, doing the deep dive on this killing joke record, I, I was like, man, there really is so much uh, in common with with some of the bigger crust names, you know the amoebics of the world, and um, to see that sound evolved on a different track, you know yeah. what I mean, yeah. on a track that goes towards industrial, was really fascinating to me. So you you talked about it, Pat, as something you were not you're not into the crust. How did Killing Joke help you back into interest in checking that kind of stuff out? Well, once you once you see that once you see that amoebics truly wanted to be killing joke in the beginning. Uh, there's that, uh, there's that song right to ride, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. It, it, which I think is going for like a pure motorhead thing. It like ba- yeah. basically, uh, killing joke or pardon me, amoebics it, it, for an, a very original to my ears band. They really were not shy about what they were borrowing from. Oh, no, no, no. No ambiguity there. And I think that that's a fascinating thing that makes it fun for a listener like me, you know, because I don't dismiss the band because they had their influences, you know, and it's, uh, to me, it made it fascinating to go, okay, there's a, there's a line between this thing that I kind of like and this thing that I kind of like, uh, oh, wait, when I understand them better, I love them. (laughs) so uh i you know again uh amoebics has uh three records so their average is quite a bit better than killing jokes (laughs) but uh although i'm looking at the killing joke discography and i see one two three four i see five out of i don't know it's one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen fifteen you nailed it fifteen LPs 10 are fucking dope. So, yeah. <laughs> so like it's, uh, you know, but I will say that when they hit a rut, they really hit a rut. I'm seeing fucking two big ruts in their, in, in their career, which many bands would not come out of. And this, <clears throat> this, in my view, this, uh, self-titled from 2003 is them pulling out of a deep, they're probably their deepest rut. So what was, what was your entry point? Like first record uh, you heard. Same as you guys, it was, I mean, aside from the hits like 80s, right? Which is just like yeah, a, yeah. a standard. Right, yes. But um, the uh, self-titled, j- just as you guys, the original self-titled the, uh, from 1980. And then, uh, weirdly, I got into Extremities, Dirt, and uh, Various Repressed Emotions, which is like it kind of a, not a forgotten record in their career as it, uh, it, it's got some bangers on it, but it, it's, a, it's a strange one. Uh, multiple songs are about money and about finance and about kind of uh, uh, the control that power has over just normal people in their day-to-day lives. And it's, I have no idea why I got into it. Oh, I actually, I can answer that. I think the song title money is not our God. Uh, <laughs> it pulled it, you in, huh? Pulled me in. <laughs> uh, and this record, <laughs> um, uh, I don't know if you guys went out and went and checked this one. It's uh, I've not. It so it's got some, it's got some duds on it, of course. Yeah, but but 
it also has these, I mean, honestly, this, in my mind, this is the record of theirs to first be successful in doing the type of, uh, schmaltz, big rock that, uh, like there's a song about memory on this record that is actually so, uh, it's, it's, it's so uh, uh, sentimental mm-hmm. that 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 it, it that it really could brick, but it just doesn't. It, it just it it hits me exactly right, uh, and uh, also you know like um, money is not our god and age of greed are both like really. Uh, what's the what's the term? Uh, hmm. Scurriating. Uh, okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it, it, uh, you know, uh, feather the nest and fuck the rest. Uh, it, it's, uh, r- really just, uh, very biting, v- very biting attacks on, uh, coming out of the eighties. That record came out in 1990 90 on the dot. So, Yo, this record has a lot going on for it. It's very interesting. And I wanted to ask you this because I'm comparing Amoebix and killing joke for a moment here. Amoebix has three records, all three, you know, the first two I'm much more familiar with, but the third that I've checked out is is very good. You know, it's very good. Very good, yeah. Um, but it's not nearly as ambitious in terms of where it goes musically. Like, they have a groove. They do different things than I think people give them credit for, but that's yes. deep listening shit. I think Killing Joke, one of the things that no one could take away from them is how, how aggressively ambitious they get at points. And... Uh, and yeah, I mean, that's that's something I think has to be said because we're talking about it. And, you know, like, you know, there, there probably are a grip of dud albums. But um, but that's interesting. I think I think you, I wonder how many people's entry point is the 1980 self-titled. Mm-hmm. And that's a stopping point, too. Oh, I'd say a number of people, although to, to be frank, that one has so much catchiness on it yeah. that uh, it, it's like. I'm looking at the track list right now. You're looking at the side A is absurd, brilliant yes. music. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. fucking great. Yeah. First three um, songs, undeniable. Fourth song's very good, too. Like, that's a great. Complications record. is great. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yep. Yeah. It's so good. And and for somebody with my disposition uh, who lo- loves highly repetitive material like uh, Lungfish, so- songs like The Weight, which might be difficult for some. Great uh, song. <laughs> uh, yeah. Are just like grip me. Uh, and that's actually what I found interesting about uh, this record, the self-titled from 2003. These songs are fucking overlong. Uh, but I honestly, this is where I give Grohl all the credit in the world. Uh, a good song, you know, th- this is this is me who can't fucking write anything on a guitar, uh, giving lectures on what a good song is. A good song, in my view, uh, can come down to uh, a really catchy chorus. Yep. Or... If you want to go the other way, it is simply a riff with capable drums. And if you have a very good riff that does not become annoying and your drummer is good, you have a song. (laughs) (laughs) And, and that is what this album proves in my view. It is because I'm looking at the fuck the death, the death and resurrection show opening track, seven minutes long, followed by a, five and a half minute long song. <laughs> this is absurdity. Uh, and I honestly, this is a cheat that like you can listen to this for anybody that, uh, 
I, I don't imagine there's many, uh, many of your listeners that are Swans fans who aren't also Killing Joke fans, but yes, uh, so, so. yeah, significant overlap. But what Swans does, uh, particularly later in their career, of being totally fearless in their in their song length, um, uh, Killing Joke was doing here, and this is really fearless. I mean, if you look at uh, the supposed singles uh, right. f- f- from this record. Um, uh, the f- first one is a loose cannon, which is four minutes and 12 seconds. Right. A crisp four minutes. And the, and the second one seeing red is five, yeah. five and a half minutes. Yep. Now what's interesting about those, neither of those are singles to me. No. Um, I mean, if, yeah. you, if I had to pick a single, I mean, death and resurrection show is, is one of the undeniable tracks on this record. It's seven minutes, and like there's moments where I could I could cut that up. Yeah, blood sure. on your hands to me is a clear single, and that's oh, see, six I would, minutes. I, Asteroid to me is like a, a, a just a truly catchy song. Yeah, it's very catchy. Even even yeah, you know, the first three times I listened to it, I was annoyed by it. <laughs> oh, really, <laughs> Asteroid? I, you know, oh, and, uh, dude, but, but it grows. That's my favorite song. It's a grower, so uh, it has. It is. I bet even on the episode, I probably was at least partially not dismissive, but like at least noting, like, "Hey, I don't know, Asteroid." Um, <laughs> but but no, it's it's undeniably memorable. Like like from jump, first listen, you remember it. Second listen, where are you at on it? Third listen, I was still out. Fourth listen, I'm like, all right, fine. I can't, yeah, I can't argue yeah. it anymore. Yeah. Um, yo, so that brings me to a question for you um, that we kind of danced around and talked about. There is some, hmm, from this kind of music, you know, and, and uh, we, we touch on all sorts of music and are pretty unafraid to talk on straight pop music so so theatrics and like over the top stuff isn't isn't off the table here that said with this record there's a certain level of theatrics and uh being full in on this that you might not typically associate with with a band as revered as killing joke who's like fans are serious as fuck but but you get the I'm singing like this parts. Yep. And it's, he's all in, right, Pete? Yeah. So Pat, where are you at on that? Because he is, I think they're able to do this earnestly. And it seems like most of their fan base doesn't blink at it. Like, yeah, that's just what it is. So from early on, uh, when you see bands, probably system of a down would be a good example. When you see bands of that nature that, um, yeah. Okay. Uh, to me, that music is goofy, but to, but to, yes. to, to their fans, that's serious musicians doing serious musician shit. Right. And, uh, but there is this kind of makeup aspect to it. That's not full on like slipknot. It's not, it is not the gimmick. It's just a thing that is somehow built in that, Hey, we are trying to be a band that plays large rooms for the entertainment of many people and we're not afraid to embarrass ourselves. And um, I think killing joke actually got started on that really early. If you watch, if you watch really early footage of them, or at least, I mean, they've been around fucking forever, but like 1984 style footage of them. uh, You, they've always had a very uh, theatrical or at least melodramatic uh, stage presence. And uh, 
the or some of them do at least like if you can watch you can watch sets where you know everybody's sort of grooving not going full on and then but except for jazz who is uh having like a, a like a a very performative fit you know right. <laughs> and, yeah. and uh he was wearing a uh, full face makeup uh i maybe at their first show honestly very early in their career uh so in that limited way they always embrace theatrics uh kind of like the the sort of band that uh you don't know if that's lyrics or if he if just in between songs he's saying bizarre poetry you know yes yes <laughs> and, and uh uh, but on this record, yeah, you're right. Uh, vocally, vocally, he went for it, and he was going for it in in a lot of different directions throughout their career. Uh, but this type of, uh, um, I guess you could say, post Motorhead rock voice. Yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? like yeah. when that, he hits that. I mean, honestly, that version of his voice. I'm so impressed at how well he does it and uh, still maintains personality. Uh, yeah, he is full on my my probably my biggest vocal inspiration because uh, he does a thing that I wholesale cannot do. Like it, I I wish that I could. I would love to have a fraction of the ability that he's got on display here. Uh, but the way that he can draw you in, uh, like asteroid is a great example. He goes from that, like your mileage may vary either very tacky or, or, or like total fist bumping or fist pumping, uh, asteroid to it to then if you follow it, it, it has this declining and very short coming in from the void. Like, it, yeah. it, which is it, great. That, that part is sells me right there. It is. It is both clever and fulfills its promise. <laughs> you know, what I mean? like it, it's, it's, it's really good songwriting from a vocal standpoint for a guy who is, you know, he's not, he's not classically trained. He just happens to be a very, uh, he's got a good set of lungs, you know? Um, yeah. so, uh, yeah, he, he there is big theatrics on this, and uh, for anybody that knows me, stuff like Ghost, e- even King Diamond, which uh, you know occasionally I'm told I have to like, uh, it, I I don't like any of this stuff. I don't like. Today I was watching plasmatics plasmatics videos and being like, yo, I hate this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, if Devo didn't have costumes, I'd like him even more than I do now. Right. Uh, right. And, and right. I don't need costumes. I I don't think that that's. Um, fun. <laughs> you know I mean? Like, I I don't need <laughs> I don't need everything to be earnest at all at all. Right. No. 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 But, but but I also don't. I think there's almost something inherently condescending in. Hey, um. Well, for example, the um the turn your brain off. Uh, this is a uh, uh Rob Zombie show. Uh, like right. Uh, sort of thing. It's it's not that there's anything wrong with it. Obviously, I don't have time to judge somebody on it. It's just it does not appeal to me broadly. But every every once in a while, something will sneak through. And uh, Killing Joke yeah. almost always I won't say always almost always sneaks through on the uh, kind of performance uh, going for it aspect of what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned the documentary before. Um, one of the things that I thought when I was watching it was like, you know, I really didn't know that much about Killing Joke prior to watching it, but I always thought that all the occult stuff was kind of shticky. Like, I yep. just, I, I assumed it was just a shtick. After the documentary, I'm con- 
wholly convinced that it is not a shtick. You know, it seems like no, they all buy guys. in one hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. So that was a, that was a fun part of the documentary. Highly recommended. It. Although it's it's kind of tough to watch. It's very very long. It, yeah, it, it's it, it, <laughs> killing it's jokes, long. staying to form. Like, yeah, you know, this is is really good and very interesting. But maybe, Dude, I mean, it's, maybe it could trim a few minutes off the end. It's like half about like their relationship with the occult and half about the actual band. And like a lot of the interviews are like indecipherable. It's uh, it's for super fans only, I think. But well, well, Pete, let me ask you a question. Uh, if you were just a uh, it, 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 let's say unremarkable, but that's not that's not exactly fair. I'm trying to think of the right word. You're just a musician, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody's ever told you that you're a genius. No, 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 you never made money in music. And then you, you throw in with these dudes that are really into magic and, and then, <laughs> then you become rich. Yeah. I would believe in magic. Oh, I'm in hundred <laughs> you know percent. Mean? Whatever you got. Oh, I got it. Uh, I got a, uh, this is a, there's a pentagram. I have to jerk off whatever, whatever you're selling. I'm in. <laughs> Dude, I actually, and I, I'm, I'm with it. Like, I actually, I like them a lot more now that I know that they're in. Like, I was listening to this is years ago, but Jazz Coleman was on a uh, was on the Jamie Josta podcast. Oh, and at wow. one point, at one point, he's talking about what's that? A meeting of the minds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but at one point, he's talking about how just very casually throws in the conversation. He's like, "Yeah, you know, like I actually I travel back in time very often, um, and I you know talk to different personalities, you know, from different ages." And you're just like, "What the fuck?" Like, but he's so earnest about it; it's fucking great. I Yo, love it. Pete, I want you to think about this. I would like to express myself fully, and in the process, perhaps touch another human being with what I do. That is a nice goal, mm. but, but I'm on Instagram talking about, uh, anime boobs. <laughs> Chaz <laughs> Coleman is not on Instagram talking about anime boobs. He's talking about manifesting his will. No. Right? And it's such a, it's such a difference. Like, is I, it potato I, potato or, uh, are we really, lo- no, it's, it is. Very well, I'll say <laughs> the, the, like I, I've said this on, uh, in, in the past, I really wasn't game for kind of the, the West uh, transformation from American nightmare West to uh, cold cave West. I wasn't really game for it because it, it, in my view, it's hard to go from the guy in a track jacket to the, to the, uh, to the guy in dark sunglasses, you know? And it, uh, uh, but that's, you know, years on, I fully get why you would want to be a little bit more obscure, why you would want to be less, engaged not in a not in a prissy way just less engaged with the mundane bullshit because i'm i'm a constant in the mundane bullshit yo i mean i think that's the the question and we'll put it out to both of you but flipping the switch on it because i agree right you when you watch the switch flip it's hard to not go uh what'd you just do there like what how'd that happen however i bet that all three of us would agree Yo, honestly, like, wh- what do I prefer? The, the the dude who's like, seems like he's off in his own world? Maybe is. Maybe that's what being off in your own world is, is flipping the switch. But Or the person or- who's stuck in the mundane bullshit, who likely it's impacting the shit they want to be doing, right? Like, am I wrong about that? Well, here's what I'll say. I'll say that 
to be mundane and also be, uh, have people look past that you have to write on such a level that there's no, that your music's really, it doesn't just speak for you. It supersedes your own voice. So it supersedes your, uh, undulations in the mundane. Yeah. So for example, the, uh, uh, Leatherface, uh, friends who have met Frankie Stubbs of Leatherface, don't give me the impression he's the deepest thinker. And, <laughs> and nevertheless, what he achieves through his, particularly his early work is transcendent. So you're just, you are left thinking, oh, that's the actual real magic of music, which is that it, 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 you are speaking to a part of yourself like Eminem. Eminem is uh, my, uh, Eminem in interview is subliterate. He doesn't, (laughs) he doesn't even seem like he can, doesn't, doesn't seem, seem like he reads TV TV God. Like yes, he, he, yes. He doesn't seem clever on any level. And but, even anyone who hates the dude and his music, if you read his lyrics, you have to go, oh well, this dude clearly is is has some level of genius that that I'm not seeing when I hear him speak. Yeah, precisely. And 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 that, but that's what you can achieve if your music is next level. If your music isn't next level, and I don't mean to say this about. Uh, I'm linking this back to cold cave in some small way, but I don't mean to say uh, cold cave is for cold cave fans. Cold cave is the fucking top of the mountain. So I'm, I, I'm not really saying shit about them. I'm just saying that you, if you come into cold cave, not knowing anything about American nightmare, which a shocking number of people did, right? That's many, why that big, many, many, why, many. Now. Yeah. That's why that band is big. Um, that you, you might be uh, inclined to uh, to believe that this man fell from the sky. <clears throat> he doesn't give you the mundane, banal bullshit, right? He gives you a little bit of, uh, you know, a little magic chicanery. You know, he's not doing any pentagram shit himself, but he's, <laughs> you know, he's above it. He's above it. Well, and so I wonder about that, you know. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, it adds a layer to his music. And again, I've listened to like two cold cave songs. I don't have shit to say about the actual band. I'm just saying they, there's a certain level of buy-in because the act is complete. Does that make sense? The, for, the, for sure. For sure. It does because they, the, the, it's part and parcel with the, the art of the artist feels congruous. Yeah. And people just, people love that. <laughs> they love yeah. it. So, I mean, uh, that's it, it. Makes me wonder. So, what what separates a band like Killing Joke? Because I think those dudes fully hold that level of like outside of the mundane. You know, like they are weird humans doing weird shit and have done so for uh, closing on forty years, uh, f- over forty years now. Jesus Christ. Um, is it that we didn't see the pivot that we didn't see the light switch flip that it's easier to buy in on or easier to roll with? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, look like these dudes were 20 year olds uh, chasing tail and uh, smoking weed out of an apple. And and we didn't get to see that because it was pre social media age. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we didn't, yeah. Had we witnessed that and then, by 89, we might've been like, you changed, man. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Or we would have, we would have said, yo, this is tacky, the, this magic, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, <laughs> right. but instead we're all sort of like, yeah, Alistair Crowley go in. 
Right. <laughs> this is tacky, this magic. Uh, that's your fucking autobiography, brother. Yeah, no uh, doubt. <laughs> um, yeah, so a question for you regarding Killing Joke, regarding this record for sure. Who is this record for? Outside looking in, who is this record for? Um, well, I, I, I will say that this record, uh, st- this could play... I'm only going to half commit to the statement. The song lengths are too much, but in principle, there's multiple songs on here that could, that could play on active rock radio. Correct. That's uh, an insult in a lot of worlds, but uh, Hey, uh, there's a lot of classic rock that is essentially the model for active rock. And I love it. So like, (laughs) you know, what can you say? Um, The, who's this for? Um, Maybe maybe like the swans person that is also into music. That's fun and, and rocks and shit. Like, so mm-hmm. a darker person, um, a darker person who also likes to bounce around. Cause I've With been to rhythm. killing joke shows and, and it's, you know, it's kind of like a grim, like, like dark individual who also wants to pogo when 80s starts playing. (laughs) (laughs) Pete, does that track with your Killing Joke experiences? That definitely tracks, yeah. Okay, a a question for both of you, and I want to start with Pete. Um, Where do I put this? Okay, this this record, you know, if by their their wiki definitions, this is industrial metal post-punk. I'm going to give you three, you know, we can call this Fuck, Mary Kill, uh, start bench cut whatever i'm gonna give you three and you gotta cut one and say this is not this is the person who least belongs in the room for this record a system of a down fan no they're on the team a, a motorhead fan or a new order fan uh n- new order fans jumping off this first yeah Right, New Order fan could get on board with earlier Killing Joke stuff, but not so much this one. And I think that's an interesting distinguishing point for this because the evolution, if we flip this and give it 1980, well, you give, you give it to the Motorhead and a New Order fan and say, system of down kid, you're, you're, you're less, less apt for this. Right. I'm not saying you wouldn't be curious, but it's not your boat, but, but the change has happened. Um, do you have any songs on this record, Patrick, that you feel very strongly about? I know we mentioned Asteroid. You said that's your favorite song. Death and Resurrection Show Rules, uh, Total Invasion is the most melodramatic fun that I think you can have on a record. Uh, I actually, Loose Cannon is absurd, and it's it, it, <laughs> it, it's a pretty goofy rock song, really. Uh, but I do like it. Uh, the one that I, uh, Bob, in, in what you and I discussed off air, uh, mm-hmm. you'll never get to me. I think, I think every disaffected teen should be handed this record. This is, if you asked me, hey, is there any merit in Stained? Is there any merit? <laughs> is there any merit in? Uh, I don't know what. Uh, like maybe even Nickelback, right? right. Like, uh, I'd say no. Come on, that. But this is all of those sentiments, all of those like, man, my girl left me, my job at Auto Parts Plus doesn't appreciate me. But, but, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm surviving. And Right, there's an active rock 
element here that when we discussed this record, I was like, yo, where are you at? So, Oh, this is active rock. Yes. No question. But I, I, I truly love this song. You'll never get to me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think Bob and I, Bob, did did you and I cut that? I think we We might have have cut it. Yeah. You know what? So where we came on that was the tone of it felt incongruous. So the running, not a running bit, but I, I mean, you're, you're also a part of this running bit is that essentially every record is too long for us. Oh yeah, of course. Um, and so, that's, so that's just reality. So when yeah. we do track by track, we end up cutting stuff <laughs> um, all the time. Every oh, record, every record, you know, um, inevitably. And I think that we said tonally that you you'll never get to me. There was another song that had a similar energy, but it wasn't quite as active rock, and it wasn't six minutes and nineteen seconds long. <laughs> but I, yo, I have continued. This is actually of all the records we've done. Um, since start of this, the the Feelies record and this Killing Joke record have been the ones that have stuck the most into my uh, regular rotation listening. And you'll never get to me. It's not bad. It's so much closer to Stained or, uh, you know, Seven Mary Three or something than my typical listens. Uh, so it's still, and it's, 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 it stands out on this record. Uh, so both both there's some positive and negatives. I think long run, I still might cut it, but you know. I mean, yeah, Patrick. To your point, though, if if you'll never get to me it was four minutes long and it was on rock radio back in the day, like when Stained was on. Like there are kids who ended up being Stained fans who are now Killing Joke fans. You know. Oh yes, for sure. And I would, uh, I I would say that this, uh, this song more so than more so than the material before I think is really the model for a lot of like at least two of their records after Um, in like, so if you don't like, you know, you guys might've already checked out the entire discography by now, but uh, if, uh, if you don't like for the, uh, for everybody else, if you don't like this record or don't like this song, yes. uh, Albums like absolute descent and pylon, are going mm-hmm. to be a little tricky. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> th- th- there's they lean they into go, that. Yeah, they do. They they go into like proper rock songs. Yeah, uh, which you know it, it, it's a weird place to arrive that late in your career. But I really argue that they nail it. Well, you know? so well, the hard part for me is absolute descent. I haven't gone into, but I've looked at it. And it gets the the song titles are pulling me in. Uh, absolute the album title, the Great Cull, in Excelsis, in Excelsis, Excelsis, yeah. Endgame, the Raven King, Honor the Fire, Depth Charge. This Dude, sounds all like, about like 5G taken over. It's fucking. It's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's, yeah. it's it, from 2010. So they were really uh, on that future shit. Um, yeah, the the active rock element is is interesting, and I mean that sort of sort of was why I was leaning. We led with that question long ago. The Dave Grohl thing are the Killing Joke or is Killing Joke a full success in their space that they've carved out and just are going with this groove, or have some of these efforts been to be more con- commercially successful? Oh. I mean, let's take a look real quick. I can tell I can tell you right now that uh every okay, I don't like revelations, many people do. Uh 
Fire Dances is a commercial record for yes. sure. Uh, nighttime commercial record, although in most respects. So this is the one, you know, th- I think this is probably their biggest record. Um, and it has some real pop songs on it. This is Love Like Blood and, yes. and, and mm-hmm. 80s. Um, this, this record, I think, fails in what it attempts to do. And yet I'm wrong because that's a, that's a classic record. That's a hit, you know? Um, and they, uh, so I would say that Nighttime in particular is a fully compromised record. Like that is a pop record. Now, did they arrive there solely with the intention of going as big as they possibly could? Or, uh, did that just in the same way that, uh, so many of these other styles interested them at the time. Did that just interest them? You could sell me on that. Uh, I mean, their two records after that are, are pretty trash. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I would say that there's, um, some level of, some level of, we can get a pool, you know, so, so, some level of <laughs> some level of there's a house in Mallorca with my name on it. Right. Uh, right. But, but I'll say that was 85 that nighttime comes out. <clears throat> yep. The, the next two records are complete, com- like devoid of hit duds. A- and then, uh, although brighter than a thousand suns has some merit, uh, these are not, these are not their best records at all. Um, and extremities, dirt, and various repressed emotions that I think I'm probably its biggest advocate. Uh, that record proves just five years later yeah. that they were willing to go in any other direction they wanted because there's no fucking, there's no pop sensibilities on, on extremities. Right. That, 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 I mean, you know, when you look at the difference, and, and this is an interesting game, is the, the Killing Joke album art. <clears throat> One, I, I absolutely love some of their art, the album art. Uh, the cover for Extremities is awesome, and also if you've ever looked, look at the uh, the cover for Money Is Not Our God. It's like a classic looking single. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah, all that early art is great. Well, it is, except you know, then my argument is the cover of Nighttime. Yo, that shit sucks. Yep, sucks. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. And you know, you you compare it to the record that immediately precedes it, which. I'm mixed on fire dances. I, I could, I can roll with that art versus brighter than a thousand suns, at least brighter than a thousand suns. I like the composition. I actually like I, the way I, I it works. Brighter, I love the art on brighter than a thousand suns, right? But it, it's not their best record. No, no, but you see it and you go, Oh, is this commercial success? And then you, they just continue to move, move further away. And like their album art is better. So, um, it's very interest, interesting to me to see a band who it's like, this is a band who had a taste of commercial success. I can't tell, and I mean, this would be a fun walk through their discography, is to see, you know, uh, you said Brighter Than a Thousand Suns. You're not a huge fan of that. Is that correct, Patrick? The, the it's record ju- itself? It's just okay. And right. outside the gate is outside the gate's pretty dismal. Right. Uh, so I'm then, wondering. Yeah, go ahead. I, th- I think Brighter Than a Thousand Suns was supposed to be a Jazz Coleman solo record. Yeah. I think they mentioned that in the documentary. Yeah. I, I think, to be honest, I think he's done that twice. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> And also, if you get deep in their discography, they also released like a semi bootleg of, of, I think it's just two of them performing at a college doing like impromptu. 
a spoken word. The, the Quartal talks. Yeah. So like, wow. you know, this is, yeah. listen, this, this is a huge inspiration to me, but, uh, but in a terrible way, because this is what I want to be. And this is uh you shouldn't model yourself after a one in a trillion uh, band. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, because this is the sort of boundless creativity, even in the face of failure that I'd like to, uh, uh, that I aspire to, but they're also much more talented than I am. So, so, it, so to give the oh. background on this, because I think, well, well brought up the court hall talks. I might be butchering that, uh, uh, September 19th, 1987, frontman Jazz Coleman delivered a lecture at London's Courtauld Institute outlining the thinking behind the band's then unreleased Outside the Gate album. So he's giving a lecture on a record that's not out yet. And, uh, and, that, and that ultimately sucks. <laughs> expounding on its origins in Gematria and the Occult. Fellow Killing Joke member Jordy Walker on acoustic guitar and Outside the Gate session musician Jeff Scantleberry on percussion provided a minimal, repetitive musical backing. The venue itself was an apt place for the lecture as it specialized in art and conversation. So this was released as a uh, um, on the Killing Joke drummer's label uh, in 1989 as a double LP. So yes, I mean... Is it now? Have you heard that, Pat? Yeah, I have. Is it? Is it? Okay. Is it good? No, on no level. Right. <laughs> but here's the thing: is it interesting? Uh, oh, entirely. F- fucking fascinating. Yeah, so, entirely. so I guess to go circle back what I was saying about nighttime is then to connect it to the record we we're, we're talking about largely here, the t- 2003 self-titled. When they touch commercial success. Do they make decisions based on that? And I mean, I think it's impossible to say no, but but I'm looking at their discography and saying it doesn't seem like they're fully guided by that, which says no. a lot. No, like, so I just looked at, uh, uh, the, sorry for everybody who is uh, not a, a Luddite. Uh, I still do the majority of my music listening on MP3. Uh, and I just looked at my uh, phone to see what uh, Killing Joke albums. I have 12 of their albums on my phone. Uh, just select tracks, though, because I don't like, I mean, most of their records, I think they have two records where I would listen to the entire thing without any cuts. And, uh, But interestingly, I don't have Pandemonium on there, uh, which is an interesting record. Uh, it makes sense I don't have Democracy on it because Democracy has not one single hit. Uh, but uh, Pandemonium a- actually interesting if nothing else uh but here's here's where i'm going with this if they thought that they were continuing in the same trajectory that they achieved on nighttime with the following two records brighter than a thousand suns and outside the gate then they're fucking dumb (laughs) and i don't think they're dumb so to answer your question no i don't think that i think one of two things either these are people that thought that they were get they were uh, they, they were betting on futures, you know, uh, that's possible. Maybe they thought, Hey, I think things are going to break, uh, into really boring music. Let's do that. That's possible. Uh, or that's just where they were at. No, I, I, I largely agree with that. It's, it's, um, it's interesting. I, I think that the person who's hearing this, who maybe has discovered this record from, our podcast or who is revisiting some of this stuff 
we'll have a fun time exploring some of the nooks and crannies from the 2003 self-titled. What would be your next stop on the killing joke discography? Um, I actually, well, I'm very fascinated by extremities given what you've said about it. Oh, it, I, I'm, it, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious about it. It goes from pounding to like sentimental. And, uh, I'm not saying that, <laughs> the every track hits there's like inside the turn inside the termite mound is just strange there, there's a bunch of strange ones but like uh i think there's slipstream is that the name of the song um it, really fascinating idea of of it fascinating it really articulate approach to memory the idea of you know almost um goddamn maybe that would be slaughterhouse five uh a notion of uh it's 19. Oh no, 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 no. Watchmen. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, where it's just that, like it's, uh, 1968. I'm 10. I'm, in, I, I, I'm in my neighbor's yard. Uh, I stepped on a bee you, you know, and then it's 1984. I, I'm playing rock and Rio. Like it's it, it, <laughs> the lyric, the lyrical approach is similar uh, to that. It, it, it's a kind of real bounce around in the concept of memory. And, uh, it's just really quite well done. Um, but where would I go? Well, it depends on what kind of listener you are. Uh, if you just kind of want to bop your head around, then maybe, maybe really honestly, something like nighttime. But if you really liked, uh, kind of the more challenging moments on, on, uh, this self-titled, then definitely go to the original self-titled, which is immediately Mm. likable, but not in the same overlong driving, uh, it, it kind of not afraid to let a drum beat uh, go uh, c- c- kind of uh, uh, take the lead uh, in the same way that this record does. You could do that entirely with the first record. Uh, mm-hmm. What's this for is not nearly as good in my view, but uh, uh, m- you know, many people, I guess would probably disagree. Uh, I would say, uh, if you want to just bang, if you want to, fu- uh, Hosanna's from the basement of hell, which comes after this record and is not nearly as good has some of that death and resurrection show, uh, yeah. vibe. Like, yeah. uh, the, the, the first track, uh, opening track on Hosanna's from the basements of hell is an all time aggressive. It, it's perfect. It, it, it's, it, it's, catchy but it's uh just a driving beating of a song and uh so if you like death and resurrection show off of this off of this record you can move forward you could go hazana's basement to hell if you like uh 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 uh, uh the, you'll never get to me uh you could go pylon which is from 2015 which has some straight up fucking rock tunes on it uh and yeah, I, I, there, you could go in almost any direction, avoiding Bread in a Thousand Suns, Outside the Gates, uh, or Outside the Gate, Democracy, and that's it. That's yeah, it. Yeah, that, that was going to be my question. Actually, I was going to take the question the other way. What should you avoid if you really like this record? But I think you, you nailed it there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, I don't know. I think we, uh, should we wrap it up, Bob? Let's wrap it up. I appreciate you fellas having me on. Uh, It's fun to bullshit about a record I I like. Well, hopefully we can have you on for another record that uh, you're all about. I don't like that that much stuff, Pete. (laughs) (laughs) 
or maybe something you hate. That might no, be more very fun. good. Mm. Yeah. All right, yo, thanks guys. Uh, everybody, yeah, Pete, thanks for coming on. Where where can people follow us? At uh, on Instagram and Twitter, Twitter at TraxPod, and they can send us cool emails to TraxPod at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Later, fellas. So